verses 1 through 11. And that really focus on the hatred that the red hot hatred that Joseph's brothers had for him. And now, beginning with verse 12, we will see how the Lord, through that hatred and other things, will accomplish his purposes. Verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. And I, where, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, 
but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Father, speak to us, O God. Open our hearts to see you for who you really are. And may that opening of our hearts be a door through which we are able to love you and love the gospel of Jesus Christ more and more. I pray it in your name. Amen. Well, every month of 2020 has seemed to add new fears and angst to our lives, hasn't it? After the first wave of COVID shutdowns, and after the start of the rioting and looting following the George Floyd incident in the spring, there was a meme going around that showed someone with a long stick. And on the end of that long stick, there was a key. The person was about 10 feet away from a, a door that was marked July 2020. And they had a look of absolute terror as they were about to unlock the door. In 2020, we've had COVID-19, vicious rioting aimed against law enforcement, an out-of-control movement to cancel our culture, and we have seen the persecution of the church and the harmful effects of the widespread acceptance of what is called the critical race theory. And to add more pressure to even that, we are right on the cusp of an important election. In a picture, I wonder how many of you today are holding a long pole with a key on the end of it, fearful of opening the door that leads into the month of November. Is that you? I believe that we have providentially come to this story on Joseph now because the story of Joseph assures us that although bad things happen in the world and in our nation and bad things happen to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is always in control and he is always faithful to keep his promises in Jesus Christ. That is the story of Joseph. In this story, God wants us to see him in all his greatness sovereignly directing everything that happens in order to bring about his greater purposes for his beloved people, that's you and me, in Jesus Christ. If you don't come away from the story of Joseph with a higher view of God and a greater trust in him to fulfill salvation's plan in a world of evil, then I don't think we've read the story correctly. Either that or your preacher laid, laid another egg. For those of you who do not know the story, God raised up Joseph as a powerful ruler in Egypt so that he would be used by God as an instrument to save and preserve God's people. God had made special promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning the future of their posterity and the special relationship that they would enjoy with God. 
And the greatest divine promise of all was that out of Israel would come the Messiah who would be a blessing to all the nations. He would fulfill the work of redemption so that all who would believe in him would have everlasting life. But at this point in the story, there's no nation, only Jacob's family and the promise of God. Humanly speaking, there was absolutely no way anything significant at all could come out of this family. Jacob's family was highly dysfunctional, and most of the children at this point were outside of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. The thought of this family becoming a great nation was it seemed absolutely ludicrous. Last week, we saw in verses 1 through 11 the various reasons why Joseph's brothers hated him so much. So just as a very quick review, they hated him for his godly character. He was a recipient of grace. They hated him because of their dad's, he was their dad's favorite child. And that is bound to upset some of the kids, we talked about how as good and godly parents who trust in Jesus Christ should treat their children equally. We talked about the, uh, the coat of, of many colors or the long-sleeved, colorful, royal coat uh, that Joseph gave to, um, or I'm sorry, that Jacob gave to Joseph that signaled that he was to receive the birthright. And most of all, Joseph's brothers hated him for his dreams. God had given Joseph two dreams. They each conveyed the same meaning, namely, that Joseph would be exalted above his parents and brothers, and that his whole family would one day bow down to the ground before him in homage. So, since you and I know the end of the story, we know that all along it was God's plan to exalt Joseph to a position second only to Pharaoh in Egypt and through him to save and preserve God's people. His brothers absolutely hated him, especially for these dreams. And what we're going to see today in, in the story is how even this sinful hatred of his brothers was sovereignly used by God to take Joseph from the pit to, to Potiphar's house. Even the sinful, the sinful hatred of his brothers. And that's where we pick up the story today at verse 12. Joseph's brothers had gone to Shechem to pasture Jacob's flocks and Jacob sent Joseph there to check on his brothers. Despite the fact that Joseph's brothers despised him and couldn't even casually greet their brother, Joseph immediately obeyed his dad. But when he got to Shechem, he couldn't find his brothers. He was wandering all around the fields of Shechem looking for him, but they were nowhere to be found. Now, just a side note, it was at Shechem some years earlier that two of Joseph's brothers ruthlessly and sinfully murdered the men of the city of Shechem. Joseph's brothers 
were extremely dangerous. They were not any less dangerous than some of the recent rioters in Portland or Seattle or anywhere else. And Moses says, while Joseph was wandering around in the fields of Shechem looking for his brothers, well, an unnamed man found him and directed him to Dothan, which was about 15 miles further away for Joseph. The man had overheard Joseph's brothers say that they were going to Dothan. So Joseph made his way there. And verse 18 tells us that when Joseph's brothers saw him approaching from a long way off, very, very easy to see in that coat, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we can say a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what becomes of these dreams. Now keep in mind that these dreams were God-given. They were the word of the Lord of things to come. We will see what becomes of your dreams, Joseph, because all we have to do is kill you and your dreams will die with you. Many years later, we see a, a similar scenario involving Jacob's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his enemies were saying, we will see what comes of his claims. We'll kill him. And then we will watch his claim that he is the son of God be buried with him. Ironically, in both cases, Joseph and Jesus, it was the wickedness of men by God's design that led to the salvation of God's people that was being accomplished. They were putting in place the plan of God without even knowing it. In their actions of trying to stop Joseph's dreams, his brothers actually became the instrument of God to bring about those dreams to their full fruition. In their attempts to stop the word of the Lord, they actually fulfilled the word of the Lord. That's just one of the many reasons, children, why we should worship God in all his glory and his goodness. That's why you see your parents and your, and your grandparents and your, your church friends shouting glory in the temple. This is just one of the reasons why we should do that. To fight against God is always an effort that backfires. We will see what becomes of your dreams, Joseph. We will kill you. It was then Reuben who said, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into the pit instead, thinking that he would later come and rescue him. 
Reuben was the older son. I don't know what he was thinking. It was a good thought. It didn't last long because he joined his brothers in, in the final outcome of putting blood, blood of the goat on the coat and deceiving the father with them for years and years and years. And he mourned the whole way. But God used that statement. Whatever his motive, okay, let's do it. Maybe they were thinking he'll die a slow death then. They stripped him of his robe and threw him into a pit. And then notice what it says in the very next verse, verse 25. They sat down to eat. Can you feel the callousness? Can you sense the danger? In chapter 42, as you read on, we even learn that while Joseph was in the pit and his brothers were enjoying their meal at the mouth of the pit, Joseph was begging his brothers for mercy and they would not respond to him. This is one of God's children of grace. It wouldn't be God's will for him to suffer, would it? And then during their meal, they noticed a caravan of Ishmaelite traders passing by. This time, it was Judah who piped up. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him and make a prophet. And that word means a violent prophet. These are the sons of Israel. This is Judah the son through whom Jesus Christ will come in our earlier class. The one to come is called the Lion of Judah. He'd better be a lion. So they sold Joseph. They took his robe and dipped it in goat's blood and showed it to their father who immediately began to grieve the death of his son. And the scriptures tell us that his sons and their families who could have easily relieved Jacob by telling him the truth and going to rescue Joseph instead wickedly surrounded him trying to comfort him. But the scripture says he would not be comforted. And then Moses says something almost off the cuff. He says something in such a nonchalant manner in verse 36. He says this. Meanwhile, Joseph was sold by the Ishmaelites to Potiphar in Egypt. Children, do you see how big our God is? And the very ones who sold Joseph were the ones that God would save and preserve through Joseph. That's how magnificent God is. That's how gracious God is. That's how good and kind God is. God intended to get Joseph to Egypt, didn't he? And in his sovereignty, he used everyone in this account and their actions 
to bring it about. Joseph would not have gotten to Egypt if his father had not sinfully favored him to stir up the anger of his brothers. Joseph would not have gotten to Egypt without running into this unnamed man who found him wandering in the fields of Shechem and who directed him to Dotham. Without that man showing up just at the right time with the right information, Joseph may have gone back home and said, Dad, I just can't find them. Without Reuben suggesting that they only throw him into a pit, Joseph would have never gotten to Egypt. Without Judah's greed, Joseph would not have been pulled out of the pit and sold to the Ishmaelite traders. Without the slave traders showing up right when they did, Joseph would have never made it to Egypt. And if you think back, because Joseph was delayed in the fields of Shechem, it was God's perfect timing for him to be in that pit at Dothan, just where the Ishmaelite caravan arrived. But one of the most important things we learn here is that when sinners directly oppose God and his plans to preserve and save his people in Jesus Christ, God actually uses their sinful opposition to bring about his perfect and gracious plan. That's why Joseph later told his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, and he was so kind. He understood the goodness of God. He understood his own sin to say this. He said, as for you, brothers, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And among them are Levi and Simeon, those who slaughtered the men at Shechem. Among them is, is Judah, who just wanted to line his pockets. He hated his brother so much. Joseph's brothers meant what they did for evil, and they alone are culpable for their sin. But God meant it for good, for the deliverance of his people. Does this remind you of our New Testament reading today from the book of Acts? Peter said in his sermon shortly after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he said basically this, on the one hand, Jesus had been delivered up according to the definite plan and eternal foreknowledge of God. Well, Jesus dying for sinners has always been in the mind of God because God is God. From all eternity past. And when Jesus was on earth, he repeatedly told his disciples, I must go to the cross. I've got to go to Jerusalem and be killed and rise again on the third day. They didn't understand it. She said, again, I've got to go. This is where I'm heading. I was born to die on the cross. That's why I was born. And I must go to Jerusalem and the elders and the chief priests will take me and they will kill me, but I will rise on the third day. So on the one hand, Jesus going to the cross was part of God's eternal plan. He was going to get there. He voluntarily laid his life down. But on the other hand, it was sinful men who carried out his crucifixion. 
Those who crucified Christ meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. All throughout the Old Testament, God was working out his plan to bring Christ. Remember last week, one of our members prayed something like this because we were concerned about an erring brother. I, I know, I know that there is no one, basically this is what he said, so wicked that you cannot reach them and forgive them in Jesus Christ and turn their lives around so that they follow you and love you for that salvation and live a life of thankfulness and servanthood for you as a result. Can you imagine God saving not only Joseph, but eventually Joseph's brothers too? I've told you a lot of different times that my dad has always found comfort in King David and his sin. Well, David, God chased him and disciplined him, and he repented, but my dad has found comfort in David. Look no further than these boys. Our God is an awesome God, and he can save to the uttermost, and he does save undeserving sinners. My question to all of you is, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? This morning to save you from your sins. This is God's plan to go any other way. It's going to backfire on you. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? He is able to save you to the uttermost. He's able to save your lost friends for whom you're praying. He's able to save those family members for whom you're praying. As we close, this story about Joseph would have been absolutely invaluable to the Israelites in the wilderness who were the original audience of this book of beginnings. They would have been asking questions like this. Why do we suffer so much? We're the people of God. He rescued us out of Egypt. Why do we suffer at the hands of wicked people if we are the people of God? And they would have read and heard read the story of Joseph. And they would have realized that this is one of the ways that God glorifies himself. And they would have realized that even sinful opposition cannot thwart the purposes of God. Indeed, sinful opposition backfires and plays into the building up of God's kingdom in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. It's because our God is that great over all things that Christ will return again right on time. And we will pray for it, and we will look for it, and we will serve him with an eye on his coming again. But all those nations and all those movements and all those people who oppose him and who persecute the church, they will bring on the second coming. 
Our God deserves our worship. Our God deserves our trust. He deserves our obedience as we keep our eyes on his return. All that we have gone through in 2020 and with being on the cusp of an important election, you may be tempted to fear what God has in store for you in the days and months ahead. Be willing to endure anything for his sake and for his glory and pray for me that I might be willing as well. In a picture, sometimes I'm holding this really long stick and I'm afraid to open the next door. Now we can do what we can do. We can do what we can do on November 3rd. We can do what we can do. We can pray. We can do what we can do. We can stay focused on, on the great commission that God has blessed and privileged us to accomplish in our communities, among our friends, and in the world. But beyond what we can do, we can trust him. Because he's always in control. And he will glorify himself throughout the story of redemption that will come to its full fruition at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our opportunity to honor him. Well, Joseph's brothers didn't want to bow a knee in homage to Joseph, did they? And ultimately, they did not want to bow the knee to God because it was God's dreams and it was God's plans that they were bucking against. Well, what about you? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Is he everything to you? And are you trusting in him alone as being sufficient to save you and others from their sin and your sin? One day to the glory of God, Philippians, Paul tells us in Philippians, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you have Jesus, you have everything. And the promises of God toward you cannot fail. He cannot love you more than what he loves you in his son. And he loves us corporately. He loves his special bride the Lord says to us from Isaiah 41, Fear not, for I am with you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. He is always with you. I reminded you about Shechem and what happened there. Well, let me just real quickly remind you what happened at Dothan. Later on, in the life of Elisha, Elisha's servant's eyes were opened as the armies of Syria surrounded the prophet and his servant. And it was at Dothan that the servant 
whose spiritual eyes were open could see chariots of fire and horses of greater number than anyone could ever count. Our Lord is with us, and he was with Joseph in that pit to the glory of God and this wonderful, awesome plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we commit to you your word. The preacher needs your help. Everyone in this church family loves you. Help us, O oh God, to be strengthened in faith and to follow Lord, believing that you are always in control and that you are always faithful to your promises toward us in Jesus Christ. Help us to be lights that shine for you. Give us hearts of conviction like you gave to Joseph, only 17 years old. May it be so with our young people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's take our hymnal and turn to 228. And I'm just going to put my wife on notice that if uh, the Spirit moves me, and they want to see me.